All right, we are here. We are at the end of this nine-week journey in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. We have covered three amazing chapters of how God has revealed to us through his word what he has done for us and the power of the cross and that impact in, in, in developing who we are. We've looked at who we are in Christ over and over again and the spiritual blessings God has provided for us. And we are concluding this first series in Ephesians and we're going to continue next week. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 next week and it's going to be a new series called Built Together. Built Together. And it's going to be a series on the local church. And as the Apostle Paul unfolds in Ephesians 4, those first 16 verses, he's going to bring out for us what a church is and what it looks like and how it functions and how we build each other up together in love. And so I'm looking forward to Built Together this next week. But I have to ask you a question before we get into the word, before we get into the, the, the end of chapter 3 here uh, and we conclude this series. Have you ever had someone explain something to you? And they went into all of the details. I mean, they are like going over the top to try to make sure you understand. And they go into great length to do it. Anybody ever had that happen? And you just don't get it. You ever had that happen? That's me too. I am a, I'm a just don't get it type of guy sometimes. Now, a lot of times it can be because I'm not paying attention. Anybody guilty with me? Right? Maybe you're on your phone, or maybe you're looking at TV, or you're, you're driving, somebody's trying to talk to you, and, and you're just, you're, they're going into detail, and then after they're done, you're like, say what? <laughs> start back, at the, at, start back at, the, at the beginning, please. You know, we all experience that. I thought about different ways in which that happens. You know, parents and children. Parents. You know what that's like, trying to communicate to your children. And I don't want to talk bad about you guys here this morning, and all you black shirt people here. But sometimes you don't listen to your parents. I got my one of them. I, I can see my son back there. Why are you sitting in the back row, buddy? <laughs> but sometimes our kids don't listen to us. And we feel like it's just getting lost in translation. And there's just like I, they need to comprehend what's happening here. Or what about husbands and wives? Wives. I know I'm guilty. How many of you try to communicate something to your husband and they just don't get it and they will tell you that they get it? I remember a conversation my wife and I were having last week. And so she told me, she told me something and it was, it was kind of the ground level of an argument. And, and if you're married, you know the ground level of an argument. You're like at the tipping point. Like one bad word here, one bad body language here, and it's, it's, it's on, right? And you, you, you're going to have to work through resolving the conflict. And we were there. We were there. We were, it was borderline, and she was explaining something to me that I did, and we got interrupted. We were on the phone, which is the worst time to try to resolve a, a pre-conflict. And so I, I told her on the phone, I said, I get it. I understand. I'm sorry. I get it. I understand. I'm sorry. Real quick. That's not good, man. That's not how you do that. She wants to know exactly what you do not get. She wants to know what do you not understand. I want you to comprehend this. You need to comprehend every single reason why you hurt my feelings. Is that not true, men? Is that not true, wives? It's true. It's how it works in marriage. But sometimes it just gets lost in translation. So I had to backtrack after she explained to me that I did not understand. And I said, well, can you please explain to me what I need to understand? 
And so when she explained it to me, I realized, it reaffirmed to me what I already knew, that I had made a big mistake. It communicated it in a way that I should not have communicated. And I apologized, and I told her what I understood. Did I not? And we're good today. We're, we're happily married today. <laughs> so sometimes things get lost in translation. And what is being said here in the section we're going to cover in Ephesians 3 The Apostle Paul is hoping that it doesn't get lost in translation. He has spent three chapters explaining to us the depths of the spiritual blessings that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. And he's hoping that you will understand it, that you will comprehend it, that you will know the depth of what God has done in your life as a believer in Jesus. He wants you to comprehend. And so he ends this section in chapter 3 with a prayer for us. He's praying for the church at Ephesus, but he's praying for the church in Homa, Louisiana, today, right now, he's praying for us. Not, not, not now. He prayed this. He's not praying for us now. But the Holy Spirit's praying for us that we would remember this. And I, I want to go back to Ephesians 1.3. I just want to say this. I want to read how we started. It says, Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so this is what, these are the spiritual blessings we looked at for the last eight weeks. What are the spiritual blessings? The first one we looked at was in Christ. We are adopted into the family of God. That was week one. We saw the beautiful spiritual blessing that those who were not children of God, who were enemies of the cross through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into his family. Second week, we looked at that in Christ, we are redeemed and forgiven. And because we are redeemed and we're bought back from the slave market of sin, then that means that all of the sin and the, and, and, and the rebellion I had against God that defined me in my present, all of that from my past, when I am redeemed, all those sins and those failures have been forgiven and forgotten. And God holds those no longer over your head and against you. They don't stand against you in a relationship with God when you have placed your faith in Jesus. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. Week three, we learned that in Christ we have access to an incorruptible inheritance. To an incorruptible inheritance. That means that, that God, that one of the spiritual blessings we have for being in Christ Jesus is that we not only inherit the promises of God in his word here and now, that is our inheritance now but one day when we die as believers in Jesus we will be with him forever in heaven that is our incorruptible inheritance and week the next week we learned that in Christ we have access to God's power amen and this is such a vital message for us to understand that God has given us in Christ all of the resources that we need to live a victorious Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in you you have all the resources you need to be victorious in your Christian life. And then in the next week, Pastor Matt Carnes preached wonderfully about how in Christ we have been saved by grace. That, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved and that we cannot earn God's grace. We don't deserve God's grace. It is a free gift. And we learned about, about the spiritual blessing of God's grace. And then the next week we learned that in Christ we are united as brothers and sisters, and this is so beautiful. Isn't this beautiful, this reality here that we learn that, that in Christ, 
The dividing wall of hostility between people is broken down. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no slave. There's no free. There's no, there's no black. There's no white. There's no Asian. There's no, we, we all have our distinctiveness as God has created us. But in Christ, we are all one. We are all one. That means we are one body, one family here located at Living Word Church in Shriver, Louisiana. But not only are we connected to each other, but we're connected, as Dominic was speaking of, to, the, to a church in China, to a, to a church in Africa, to a church down the road, to Victory Christian Center, to, to Cross Church, to Bayou Blue Assembly, to whatever church in this area that names the name of Christ, we are connected with them. We are united together. And that is a spiritual blessing. Next, we learn that in Christ we are citizens of the kingdom and Pastor Fred did an amazing job reminding us that this is not our home. That we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we don't belong to this world system. We, we belong to a, a different system. And because we belong to a different kingdom, we are submitted to a, a different king, to the king of the universe. That means we see the world around us differently. And that is a spiritual blessing. Listen, listen. That is a spiritual blessing because now when we go through this life, we have the answers. You ever tried to tell somebody you have the answers and they don't believe you? If you're a Christian, I want you to know you have all of the answers. You're not lacking anything. If you have biblical truth and you surrender to Jesus Christ, to the authority of his word, you have all. All the answers to every situation that you can face in this life. All of them. They're right here. They have been spoken about in God's word. And as a citizen of the kingdom, you're submitted to God's word. And that is a spiritual blessing. Because outside of that, where's the hope? There's no hope in this life outside of Christ. Where's the hope? Where's the, how do you answer the deep questions of life and the, and the troubling questions? You have no hope. But as citizens of the kingdom, that is a great spiritual blessing. And then last week, we learn that in Christ, we have the privilege to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We looked at how the apostle Paul suffered for the gospel. But it was that in that suffering, through, because of the gospel, that he proclaimed the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles. And we get to have that same spiritual blessing in our life to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Amen? All right. So now you understand why the Apostle Paul is praying for us that we would remember these things. He's praying that we would comprehend these things. He's praying that we would understand and remember. Don't forget. We should never forget. Never. Don't ever live your life as a believer detached from the realities of the gospel. Everything I just went, I I read over right there, that's the reality or the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you should never Live your Christian life detached from these realities. The realities of what Christ has done for you and in you. And how he has changed your life and adopted you and redeemed you and forgiven you. Never live your Christian life apart from those realities. And so now we're going to look at the text. We're going to look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And we're going to read Paul's beautiful prayer for us. For the church. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at what it is that the Apostle Paul wants us to comprehend so that we will not forget it. Because if you comprehend it, you won't forget it. And that's what he's praying here. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. So what is it that Paul wants us to comprehend so that we will not forget? The first thing is this, and these are things we've gone over in the series. We're gonna look back at what he wants us to remember. Firstly, in, the first thing we're gonna look at is this, is that in Christ, we have strength through the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Ephesians three fourteen through 16. For this reason, I bow my knees from whom every family in heaven and on earth have been named that according to the riches of his glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened, strengthened with power through what? Through his spirit. And where is his Holy Spirit? If you're a believer, his Holy Spirit is in you. He dwells in you. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says this. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Listen to this. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you don't have the evidence of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And so the evidence of somebody being a born-again Christian is that they have the Holy Spirit at work inside of them and the fruit of the Spirit is being developed in outside of them and it can be seen. And that's what happens at salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes, when you confess Christ, he comes and indwells you and begins the process of producing fruit in your life. And others look at the fruit and they say, you know what, that's a believer right there. That's a Christian right there. I see fruit, I see I see fruit. They used to look a little different. They used to talk a little different. They used to act a little different. But now something's changed. Something's different. That is the evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And only Christians have the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. As believers, at the moment of our salvation, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God does not withhold portions of his spirit from us. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a little bit of my Holy Spirit. Good luck with your life. Trying to figure it out with a portion of me. When he comes to you and indwells you and fills you, you get them all. You get all of the Spirit. You get all of his power. And so at your, at, at, at your disposal, on the inside of you, dwells the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit changes the way we see the world around us. We have a new internal strength that is ours in Christ. And listen to this. At the same time as the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and giving us an internal strength, our adversary Satan seeks to take our internal strength from us. To take from us our inner resolve to trust the Lord in every circumstance. Have you experienced that? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Anybody, by the nodding of your head, raising of your hand, the enemy trying to take your inner strength. Yes, you are a believer, and the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you, and you have his power, and there's moments you feel empowered by the Spirit, but then there's times because our adversary, the Satan, uses the world, the flesh, 
And he uses this world system to try to zap our internal strength, to try to take away our trust of God. And so the question is, well, what do we do? How do we, as believers, build up our strength? How do we take what God has given us and cultivate the power of the Spirit in our life? And I believe there are, there are really three practical ways, and I just want to call them the ordinary means of grace. Has anybody ever done something ordinary in your life that ended up being extraordinary? The ordinary things are hard to do. Do you believe that? It's, it's ordinarily hard to get up for work sometimes. It can be hard to get up to go to work, to do it over and over and over and over again, to be faithful, to not miss a day, to show up for work every day. How many of you have ever missed a day of work? Slackers. I want to tell you about somebody who never missed a day of work his entire career. You guys know Kyle Ripken Jr.? Baseball player? Pat Carlos knew that Kyle Ripken Jr. was a baseball player. Point for Pat Carlos. Kyle Ripken Jr. showed up every day of his career to work. Now you think, well, that's not work. He's playing baseball. Okay, all right. You go try to be a professional baseball player. See how hard that is. That's difficult, right? And those of you who, who, are, who played at any level, you know that being a professional baseball player is hard work. And how many days did Kyle Ripken Jr. show up consecutively? 2,632 times he showed up to work, to the ballpark, to batting practice, to stretching, to exercising, to doing his job every single day. He started May 30th, 1982 in a game against the Seattle Mariners. And his name was next absent on September 20th, 1998. They called him the Iron Man, Cal Ripken Jr. And there, I don't know if there will ever be another professional player that will ever reach that feat. It's amazing. Ordinary, ordinary, every day. There's another baseball player. Anybody heard of Barry Bonds? Barry Bonds tried to do extraordinary things to break some extraordinary records. What did he do? He shot himself up with steroids. And he broke, Hank, he broke Hank Aaron's record. And there should always be an asterisk next to Barry Bonds. Number there, 755 home runs. Because he did what was not ordinary. He did what he should not have done to try to do something that was extraordinary. Cal Ripken did what was ordinary, was mundane, did the hard work. And because of that, he's extraordinary. You guys follow me? So what are the ordinary things that God has called us to do in our Christian life that help us to tap into the Holy Spirit's power in our life? The first one is this. These are the ordinary means of grace. The transforming work of God's word. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I want you to know the rest of this study in Ephesians, when we start next week, is about that verse right there. We've been, what did you say this morning, Pastor Freddie, that we've been uh, on our honeymoon these eight weeks? The honeymoon's over, church. Next week, we're going to start talking about your life. So if you don't want me to meddle in your life, well, I want you, you need me to meddle in your life, so you need to come next week. But if you don't want to, if, you, if you're worried about it, wear your steel-toe boots, starting next week. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, one of the primary ordinary means of grace in your life as a Christian that will, that will help you to tap into the Holy Spirit's power every day in your life is to be in God's word. This never changes, brothers and sisters. This means of grace never changes. You think, well, maybe one day if I've read the Bible enough that I've kind of graduated from reading the Bible. It will never change. God's word endures forever. It lasts forever. It has eternal power in our lives. And so we must every day Make it a priority to be in God's word. If we believe that God's word is what it is. If it's just another book. If it's just another book, well then it really doesn't matter, right? You can take it or leave it. But we believe, hear me, hear me. We believe that this is God breathed. This is God's very own words. Why would we ever take God's very own words and never read it? Never open it. If I told you that the God of the universe who created you in his image wanted to talk to you and that he did talk to you and that he wrote you a book and I gave it to you, would you not look at it? Would you not think this is the most precious message I've ever heard and ever received? And would you not read it? And that is an ordinary means of grace that we, may ne- we should never lose hold of. The second ordinary means of grace in our life is that we must have a desperate dependence on God in prayer. A desperate dependence on God in prayer. We must be in the word and we must be prayer warriors. James 5, 16 says this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. May we never, may we never stop praying. You know, if we stop praying as Christians, it is our declaration of independence from God. If we stop praying, we are declaring to God that I'm okay being independent of your power and your strength and your help. May we never say that. Our third one we want to look at this morning, ordinary means of grace. This is how God works in our life, through the word, through prayer, and lastly, and not not lastly, but these are the three we're going to look at this morning, through spiritual strength from brothers and sisters in Christ. The word, prayer, and spiritual strength from one another. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers, Paul says in Galatians, Brothers, if anyone, if any brother or any sister is caught in a transgression, what should we do? We should restore them we should bear one another's burdens and so this is an ordinary means of grace in our life as we connect with one another in the body of Christ God uses our connection as iron sharpens iron he uses our connection to spur me along how can you bear your brothers and sisters burden in Christ how can you bear their burdens it's whenever you see them listen hear me when you see them and you come into this door and you see them or you see them in your life group or you see them out in public and you recognize they have slumping shoulders. You recognize that their countenance looks different than it ever looked. And you just don't leave them like that. But you ask them, are you okay? Can I help you? Can I pray for you? What are you going through? Is there anything that I can do to lighten your load? That's what it means to bear one of those burdens that we, we cry with each other. We rejoice with each other. Bear one of those burdens and that is 
one of the ordinary means of grace and power in our life. So the Apostle Paul wants us to remember, please remember, please remember that we have power through the Holy Spirit. And that the power of the Holy Spirit must be cultivated in our lives through ordinary means of grace. Secondly, what the Apostle Paul wants us to remember is that in Christ we (coughs) are rooted and grounded. We are rooted and grounded. That's what it says in Ephesians 3.17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. What does it mean to be rooted? When you think of rooted, what is that, what, what's that picture there? Anchored, being anchored. But when you think of rooted, you think of roots, right? You think of a tree. You think of a flower. You think of a plant. A plant has roots. And so the picture of us as believers in Jesus Christ, one of the spiritual blessings that we have is that whenever we become saved, when we become Christians, the, the, the root system of our heart, of our life, gets transplanted for a new root system. And now those, those roots go down deep into the nutrients of God and the Holy Spirit and his word and prayer. And, and those root systems produce spiritual life in us. And so we are connected with Christ. I love what it says here. Jeremiah 17, five through eight, reminds us of what it looks like to be rooted. Thus says the Lord, curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub. It's like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see any good come. We don't want to be shrubs. We want to be plants that are what? Rooted. We don't want to be a shrub. But the man who doesn't trust in the Lord and have faith in Christ. He's like a shrub in the desert. And nothing's going to, good's going to come from them. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. And in an uninhabited salt land. So I want to say this. If this right here describes your, your life and you feel this, you feel like there's no fruit in your life, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus. And I want to tell you, if this describes your life, God, God has something better for you. That you can be rooted in God through Jesus Christ and you can produce fruit of good things in your life. That's the power of the gospel. But look what it says here. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. Brothers and sisters, that is awesome. That means when we are, we are Christians and our roots are deep down into the streams of the living water of God, it can be dry all around us. It could be desert all around us. You could have pain and suffering and trial all around us, but what's gonna happen for the one who is rooted deep down? In Jesus Christ, we're going to produce fruit. Our leaves are going to stay green. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Paul wants to remind us that we are rooted in Christ and we will bear fruit. If you're rooted, if you say you're rooted and you're not bearing fruit, you might not be rooted. And then nextly, what does it mean to be grounded? When you think of being grounded, you're rooted and then you're grounded. Ground level. What do you think of? Found, someone said foundation. A foundation. That's exactly right. This is the picture here. We are rooted in Christ and then we are on a solid foundation. We are grounded. Have you ever met somebody grounded spiritually? You just look at them and you think, man, they're just so solid. 
They just don't waver. Things come at them. Difficulties come at them. Trials come at them. And they're just solid. That's not by accident. That's because they've been rooted. That's because they've been in God's word. That's because they are basing their life on something greater than themselves. And that is making them solid. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. Everyone then who bears, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Solid foundation. If you are rooted in Christ and the, the, the gospel, the power of God's word is the foundation of your life, the winds and the rain of this life can beat upon your life, upon your house, and it's not gonna fall. But if your life is not rooted in Christ and founded on God's word, The winds and the rains of this life and the trials of this life will beat on your house, beat on both people. Those that are rooted and grounded and those that are not will beat on both of us. But if you're not rooted and grounded, your life will fall. And what Jesus is saying here, he says, how great is that fall? He's speaking about eternal destinies. How great will that fall be ultimately if you're not rooted and grounded in Christ? Eternal separation from God third thing the apostle paul wants us to remember he wants us to remember that in christ we understand what love is we understand what love is we have the holy spirit that's empowering us we are rooted and grounded in christ and thirdly in christ we understand what love is let's go back to the text ephesians 3 18 through 19 and this he's continuing his prayer i pray that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth the length the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that an interesting phrase there? Let's think about it. Let's, put the, let's look at the text. He says, I want you to have strength to comprehend. And I want, verse 19, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. That's weird, huh? It's a contradiction. He says, I want you to know something that you can't comprehend. That passes knowledge. It's kind of like, kind of like the gospel, right? Kind of like, how is it? How is it that any of us can be saved? Why is it that God would ever save us? That, that's, we, we can't understand it. We can't fully comprehend that. How is it that God would set his love on us who can never deserve that love? It's hard to comprehend. And that's what he's saying here. I want you to know something that you can never fully figure out. It's beyond you to understand. But what is it that's beyond us to understand? It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. You know, we're messed up when it comes to love as human beings. Do do you realize that? We're messed up. We do not understand love. Why is it we don't understand true love, agape love, God's kind of love? Why is it that we don't fully get it? It's because we are limited to our human understanding, and that human understanding has influenced us to believe that love is conditional. Every area of our life, Somebody in our life that you say, I love that person. Well, give it some time if that person starts being hateful to you. Give it some time if that person tries to harm you physically. Give it some time if that person stops, stops acting loving to you. That's human conditional love. But God's love is not like that. The love of Christ is not like that. 
Jesus did not die for us because we deserved it or because we earned it. He died for us because we didn't deserve it and because we couldn't earn it. His love is not like our love, the love of Christ. And Paul wants us to understand, to never forget the depth of the love of Christ. John 15, 12 through 13 says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Listen to this. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Sounds good, right? That is great love, that I would lay down my life for my friends. That, you know, I love Matt Carnes, and, and if he would have came and helped me out of the ditch, I probably would have laid down my life for him. But now it's Lee Fungi. Lee Fungi's got it. <laughs> Lee Fungi's got it. Brother, I got your back, man. <laughs> right? I mean, great love. I, I would lay down my life for all of you. That's what I'm called to do. I'm going to choose my family first. <laughs> but that sounds good, doesn't it? Lay down our life for our friends. But that's not the depth of the love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? What does that look like? Romans 5, 6 through 8, this is the love of Christ. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? For, for his friends? For those who earned it? For those who looked good, who played the part? For those who could, who could, who could dot all the I's and cross all the T's? Is that who he died for? Is that who he set his love for? Now what scripture tells us, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person like Lee Fungi, someone might possibly die, would even dare to die. Listen to this, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To know the love of Christ, to know that. That love, that he, his love is unconditional. It's unconditional. It's not like ours. You know, one of my favorite examples of the love and compassion of Christ is in Matthew 8. I just want to read the text and I want to explain it to you. Matthew 8, 1 through 3 says this. And when Jesus came, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This is Jesus. He's dwelling and living in a Middle Eastern country where leprosy, if you had leprosy, you were considered unclean. And according to Jewish tradition and customs, if you got too close to someone who had leprosy, a disease of the skin, if you got too close to them in their proximity, you could be considered unclean and cast out of your community. Cast, listen, cast out of your family, your, your, everyone you knew, everyone you loved. If you got leprosy, you are cast out to a, another location to live with all the other unclean people. And that is your new dwelling place. So that's who this is. It's a leper with leprosy. So the leper, it took all that they, all the strength that they could conjure up to come up to go even near Jesus because they knew that if they got too close that they could be killed for what they were doing because they were, they were putting in danger all the other people from being considered unclean. But he made his way and he said, Jesus, if you're willing, he had heard, he had heard, he had heard that Jesus did miracles. He had heard this, about this miracle worker. He'd heard about him and said, I just, I know, I know, I know if I can get to him, I can be clean. 
And, and who is Jesus? Jesus is the son of God. Jesus could have commanded that leper. He could have said, stop right there. Don't come anywhere near here. Don't come anywhere near these people. Don't come near me. I'm going to command that you be healed. Be healed. And it could have been done. Go, wash, you're cleansed. He could have easily done that because he's God in the flesh. But what I love about the, the love of Christ is that he goes, he goes to the full extreme. Just as he did on the cross. What, is, what, what does he do here? He takes him, he stretches out his hand, and he touches him. He could have spoke, but he touches him. It shows the depth and the heart of love and compassion that Christ has. He didn't come for the clean. He came for the unclean. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're the unclean, Christ came for you. Christ came for the ungodly, for the unclean. We go to help those that are like us. We go to help, us, we go to help others that have it all together. That look like us, act like us, talk like us. But Christ comes to those who don't have it all together. Christ comes to those who are unclean. He even said that to the Pharisees. They were complaining to Jesus. He said, why is it that you eat with sinners and tax collectors? And he said, I didn't come for those that are well. I didn't come for those that don't need healing. I came for those who are sick. If you're sick this morning, spiritually sick this morning, he came for you. If you're addicted to, to, to sin, if, you're, if there's an addiction in your life that you're addicted to, he came to set you free. He came to be your savior because you need saving. That's why he came, and that is the love of Christ. That, that love surpasses our knowledge, and we will never fully comprehend that. It's a depth of knowledge that's beyond us, but we thank God for it. Amen? We thank God for it. I want to read this. This is a song written in 1917 by Frederick Lehman. It's called The Love of God. It's an old hymn. It says this, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? The love of God. And lastly, as we conclude, what is it that Paul wants to remind us of? We have power in the Holy Spirit. We have the love of Christ. And we are rooted and grounded in him. But lastly, he wants us to know that in Christ, he wants us to remember that we have access to far more abundantly. You guys like far more abundantly? We have access to far more abundantly. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says this, now to him. Now Paul's ending his prayer with praise. He's ending his prayer with praise. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He ends his prayer. He ends 
his assignment to tell us who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us. Amen. What does he say there? He says that we have access to far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. What does far more abundantly mean? It means beyond all measure. Can't even measure it. Can't even measure it. God wants to do far more abundantly in your life than you could ever imagine or dream of, and you can't even measure it. It's beyond all measure. And in a manner beyond the furthest degree, as far as you, as far as you can imagine and think, God, I imagine you could do this in my life. He can go beyond that. Far more abundantly, beyond all measure. What is it that you're believing God for? in your life what do you what do you believe in God for what have you been praying about what have you been thinking God God I I need some answers to this God I have this situation what are you believing God for and I want you to understand that when we're praying about far more abundantly sometimes a far more abundantly doesn't look like the far more abundantly that we would like and we need to have the right eyes to see correctly that God's far more abundantly is different than our far more abundantly and some of us were praying for certain things and we need to understand that even though we can't see we can't see all the details that God sees beyond what we see he sees beyond what we see and some of us we struggle so hard because we have eyesight problem we have eyesight problems we don't see correctly and we're believing for far more abundantly but the far more abundantly may come in a different package and it's going to be better than you could ever imagine because you're in Christ So I I want to illustrate this for you. I need an optometry professional to help me on stage. We just so happen to have one sitting right over there. We're going to get Dr. Bud Cloutier to come do an eye exam on me. So it actually says it on this eye test. It says, um, find an optometric physician. So done. We got one right here. So I'm going to give you this. You're the professional. Let me get the handheld. I need a handheld mic. Where did the handheld mic go? First step. There it is. It was hiding from me. Dr. Bud needs to be able to. So I'm going to take my glasses off, right? Right. If you would. Okay. You know, I'm I'm Ben's eye doctor, so I actually have an insight as to what he can see. (laughs) And actually, for him, without his glasses on, even trying to read this bottom line on our chart from here becomes a challenge. And the reason it's a challenge is because he is nearsighted that's a common name but the real word part is myopic and myopia is generally caused by the fact that the front of your eye is too steep or the axial length is too long and because of that things just don't come into focus in fact the whole front row can fall asleep without his glasses on he wouldn't even know it's absolutely but (laughs) yeah for sure but, but when he puts them back on not only can he see when he puts them back on, not only does he come into focus, but the back row and even the yeah, top wake up row. Back there. And in fact, he can even see a sign so far as miles away or even the moon, which is thousands of miles away, clearly. So it says to stand at 10 feet. So let, let's measure out 10 right. feet here. So what, Say about 10 feet here. 10 feet. Okay. So without squinting, right? That's what right. You, you can't squint. No squinting. That's what, that's what you tell Actually, me. in your case, it wouldn't even help. It so. wouldn't help. So. Right. <laughs> I can see the C and the S. Right. But, I, but that's C and the it. S. Possibly, but it, it's super blurry. Super blurry. So your professional opinion is what? Dr. You're Bowen? definitely myopic. I'm definitely myopic. Okay. Thank side. you. Thank All you right. for your help this morning. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> 
my professional opinion as your pastor, I want you to know that we are all myopic at times. My professional opinion is that spiritually, we, we struggle with spiritual myopia. We have nearsightedness. We don't see correctly. And we need the lens of the Holy Spirit to help us to see the way God sees. If God could give us a glimpse, just give us a glimpse of all that he has planned for us, it would blow our mind. And in the temporary, all we see is right here and we think, oh, far more abundantly. That sounds wonderful, Paul, to think about that. And I know you want me to remember that. That sounds good. But all I see is here. And this is, what I, this is my far more abundant, that this would change and that would change and this would look like that. And we got God a plan. We have a plan for God of how he can make it work. But that's not far more abundant, according to God. Far more abundant is beyond what you can see. It's beyond what you can see. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? What God can do in your life, in my life, and in our situation is far greater than we could ever dream up. And all of this, all of this we're talking about is because we belong to Christ. Because we're in Christ. And this is what we've been looking at. So we've been looking at for nine weeks because we are in Christ. This is what he has provided for us. So what belongs to us. This is ours in Christ. We are new. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and we have a God that is working for our best interest far beyond anything we can imagine. And I believe that for my life, your life, and I believe that for our church. If we could see what God has planned for our church and the impact that he has for us to make in our families and in our community, it would blow our mind. But I know it and I believe it and know it because I know who God is. And when God positions a church, a community of believers in a city, he positions them for impact. He doesn't position them to sit. He doesn't position us just to gather. He positions us so we can reach out into our communities. And I know and I believe that there are going to be people that are going to come every single week. And they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ because we're going to exalt Christ. Disciples will be made and the saints will be equipped. Amen? I want to end with this. Isaiah 64, 1 through 4. Prophet Isaiah says this. It's a prayer to the Lord. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of all those who wait for him. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you this morning. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you. You're so good to us. Come before you this morning. And I pray that you would help us to comprehend. Give us the spiritual strength to comprehend who you are and what you've done on our behalf as as believers in you. God, may we not ever forget the realities of the gospel. May they ever be in front of us that we can be reminded that we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed, we've been set free, and we have access to every spiritual resource that we need 
to live victorious in this life. And Lord, I pray for all of us, for myself and all of us as brothers and sisters, I pray that you'd help us to put on our spiritual glasses and to see correctly. Help us to look beyond our immediate circumstances and to see that the far more abundantly that you have for us might look different than what we see right now. You have greater things planned. God, I pray a blessing over every person. God, thank you for this first part of our study in Ephesians. I thank you that it has prepared our hearts to hear what you desire for us to do in our life. We thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. Bless them as they leave today. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And the body of Christ says, amen.